Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode five, Medals and Swoop Bikes. Platoon 79 turned back an attempted ambush by a well-equipped enemy force, including a highly skilled sniper with a Zerka adventurer model sniper rifle. Upon returning to Camp Vibus, Privates Kwai and Staven came face to face with two Purge Troopers and a Sith Inquisitor. A Sith Inquisitor? On Sestin 4? Could it be connected to the Jedi sigil they found on their first patrol? Let's find out. The rest of the platoon got back a few hours later and woke me up. They wanted to let me know they were annoyed I got home earlier. Sorry about the noise, Muffin. I was just out on patrol. I'm sure you understand. If they were trying to piss me off, it wasn't going to happen. I had too much on my mind. I asked Murray if the Theta-class shuttle on the pad was still there. It was, but they hadn't seen anyone around it. In fact, when they were getting off the Lardies, the LT was very blunt when he told the platoon to stay the fuck away from it. Theta class shuttles any transport problems. Give that ship a wide berth. I told him about the Inquisitor and the Purge Troopers. Not everything. You remember Zeta's Prime, don't you, Solomon? Not that she'd been in my mind, I just told him I'd seen them. He didn't seem all that surprised and said it was probably because of that incident with Squad 1. Whenever the Empire encounters something that could be the work of Jedi, it gets extra cautious. This was probably just procedural and it wasn't anything worth worrying about it. We just needed to keep our heads low and we'd be fine. I was bleary-eyed and still exhausted, so... His passing assumptions were all I needed to put my mind to rest, and I was out again before those assholes bothered to turn out the lights. The next few days slid into familiar routine. Combat training, labor detail, classwork, the usual. They kept us busy, so we didn't have time to think. So we didn't have time to cause trouble. It was annoying, but every now and again you'd learn something new. Orto switched up our battle exercises. We worked with the rest of our company, and Orto took over for the captain to instruct us on how he and the cloners operated in environments with heavy guerrilla activity. The skipper was all for it. He was a younger officer from the academy, had seen a bit of action, but nothing like our LT, so he pulled back and just absorbed the wisdom Orto had to share. Starting assault! The types of tactics one uses proven to anticipate and facilitate ambush encounters. 
The manual was pretty light on this stuff. And what was there wasn't always entirely practical in our particular situation. So we shut our mouths and listened. And Orto did his best to make these exercises as realistic as possible. For two or three days, we'd be out in the bush around the camp, and he'd give us movement objectives, then disappeared with one or two of the sergeants or other officers. We would catch dummy traps, pits, improvised explosives, thinking we were doing a good job. Then the LT and his chosen henchmen would come out of nowhere and put us down with stun rifles. He always found a way to best us. It was really impressive and a great way to learn. But he didn't just stun us. He taught us when to shoot back, and if we didn't, we'd pay for it. He would punish us by forcing us to run the course and do calisthenics till we puked. We needed to learn that hesitation will and always get you killed. There were rest days and a few fly-out day patrols, more taking stock of the local mining output and showing face. But we had no contact with armed hostiles. Nothing. There were a few tense moments with miners who got in our face, but the LT really knew how to handle people like that. He never changed his tone. Just let them know that violence was ill-advised. Without even a word from him, we just knew to click our rifles in line. Our only reply was the thick, warm, and oppressing hum that came off them when they all primed at the same time. We didn't need to do anything else. We had a month of this monotony. The evenings were ours. The time when we could cut loose, well, kind of. We had lights out at nine, and they rationed us to two beverages a night, so we could cut loose but not stray too far, which meant we spent a lot of time at the fire bullshitting with one another. One late afternoon, we were sitting in a classroom reviewing the procedure one uses to call in an airstrike when the LT rolled in. Everyone shot to attention. At ease. As you well remember, a month ago our unit was attacked while patrolling Sector E-27. Thanks to the strict fire discipline and superior soldiering ability of the 79th, we emerged victorious. As such, we have been recognized for battle honors by Imperial Command. In fact, two of you, Private Staven and Kwai, have been awarded the Imperial Valorous Service Medal to be given tomorrow afternoon during parade and inspection by Colonel Gast. Congratulations, soldiers. The classroom clapped for itself. I looked down the line at Staven. She was beaming. At the time, this medal was a massive boost. It made us feel inspired. It's not often we got that kind of recognition. I might be cynical about medals now because I'm old, but back then, that stuff kept me going. The following day, Staven and I were up early to make sure our gear was in pristine condition. There was going to be 500 mutters from two companies and their COs all out looking to impress. The pressure was on because that Theta class was back on the pad. 
And even though none of us had seen the Inquisitor since we got back from patrol weeks ago, we knew she was going to be there because she was meant to be the guest of honor. This was the first official mention of the shuttle. To be fair, it was in and out of the camp often, but there was never any acknowledgement from anyone. The one time we attempted to ask Orto about it, he threatened us with hours of running and inevitable puking. We didn't ask again. Well, not to him or any of the NCOs, but we talked about it when we could. That's how we learned that no one outside Staven and I had any interactions with anyone from the Theta class. Apparently the Purge Troopers would order some of the grease monkeys in the shuttle pool to ensure the ship was refueled and given routine maintenance. But that's it. And no one had spoken to the Inquisitor outside of the Colonel. Of course, I had my story. Zavis Prime. But that wasn't something I was sharing. Part of me was still questioning my own sanity, wondering if it even happened. Inquisitor gossip was interesting, but our attention was really focused on the constant rumors of violence coming in from all over Seston 4. Camp Vibus had it the worst, though. We had a lot of enemy activity in our backyard, and our battalion had seen the most action by a mile. Nearly every platoon we sent out caught heat. Even the 71st platoon, who helped us clean up that ambush incident with the sniper, had seen some action. It was unnerving to know that patrols came under fire and took heavy casualties. But what was worse was we'd never find out who was really responsible. The ones orchestrating things. Well, no one was telling us. Other times, there'd be stories where we'd get the drop on them before they even got a shot off. That was always nice to hear. Villagers and locals routinely claimed they had no idea who these gunmen were. Then there were booby traps. Explosive devices rigged up from old mining charges or surplus weaponry. A lot of legs were lost to those things. And again, no one seemed to know where they were coming from. We put that aside on the day of the parade and we were formed up as Sergeant Gentala gave us the once-over. Keep those weapons high and tight, troopers. Steps in line and on time. I see anyone come out of position, you'll all spend the next month on labour detail. Yeah, no pressure. We marched across the parade square and slammed our heels on the concrete as we took one formation, then another with sharp, brisk movements. It felt great, like we were part of something. The heat upon us, sweat dripping, but it didn't matter. Every footfall was perfectly timed. We were like a clock, a living clock. You could hear us ticking. We marched past the grandstand of onlookers, eyes right, our feet beating out a war cry. As we got in formation, the numbers were irregular. Soldiers who'd been with us a few months ago were now in the infirmary, or in the ground. The number of missing was noticeable across the square. The grandstand had around 50 people in it, civilians. I guess these were all civic leaders from the region. I recognized one or two guys, but 
Mostly, they were potential allies the Empire was trying to impress. There were also some naval officers. Right there, sitting next to the colonel, was the Inquisitor. She was elegant and had this effortless poise, even while sitting. Her purge troopers were nowhere to be seen. The colonel gave a brief speech about the importance of working with the locals and of the pride she had for Imperial soldiers, as we ensured that the last of these loyalist terrorists were brought to justice and how the Seston system would one day be an economic powerhouse in the region. The guests in the stands applauded to that one. The Empire seemed to be doing a good job by them, so who could blame them? We drove out the pirates from the orbital starport of Jeff Deandes, which opened up the hyperspace trade lanes to traders who were previously worried about being attacked. There were new merchant houses and corporations coming through, and the bloated Republic trade structure filled with payoffs and kickbacks was gone. Everyone could feel it. The galaxy was changing for the better. The band played, and the guests were let off the grandstand for their formal dinner. This was a bigger deal than I realized. The Inquisitor was in the center, flanked by the Colonel and the Brass as they came down to the parade square for the formal inspection. They walked through the ranks, saying a few words to the odd soldier as they passed. How's the food here, trooper? Brought down any of those raiders? The Empire is grateful for your service. The Inquisitor didn't speak. She just paced, her face hidden behind the mask of her helmet. I watched as they passed by, row after row. Her voice wasn't in my head this time. I wondered again if I imagined the whole thing. Maybe I had a bit too much sun that day. The next time they passed by, in the row in front of me, I tried to picture her face under the mask. What did it look like? But I couldn't remember the face, just the eyes. They haunted me. Those eyes. Did I imagine them too? They got to Staven first. The colonel addressed her and they talked about what we'd done with the sniper. The captain commended her for her bravery and the Inquisitor nodded. Then Staven's head twisted slightly. She looked directly at the Inquisitor, her eyes widening. It only lasted a second. She snapped her head back forward, assuming attention. The colonel took out a case and opened it to reveal a medal. She snapped it onto Staven's webbing. Then the senior officer saluted. Staven saluted. And they kept going. Eight troopers later, they got to me. The colonel was the first to speak. Private Kwai, I was informed of your actions three weeks ago from your commanding officer. Those events have been reviewed, and with my recommendation... Imperial Command has decided to award you with the Imperial Valorous Service Medal. Congratulations, Private. The captain was next. Excellent work, young man. I read the reports personally. Your service is an example of what makes the Empire great. The Inquisitor was silent. She was facing me. Her helmet moved up and down slowly, like she was scanning me. Colonel Gass took out my medal and motioned to snap it on. May I, Colonel? The Colonel stopped and looked over at the Inquisitor. She hesitated. I wondered if this was a protocol thing, 
Was it the colonel's duty to give me this medal? She handed it over. Absolutely. The figure in black stepped forward and extended her hand. Every movement was gracefully constrained, like a dancer, precise and sophisticated. Then I heard her. Wear this proudly, Solomon. Every traitor you kill avenges your sister. These animals are all guilty, and you must make them pay. Hatred will keep you strong. It will harden your spirit and keep you alive. I froze. Suddenly felt cold. The sweat that was dripping down my own brow chilled me. She never spoke out loud, and then I heard the click of the metal as she fastened it. She pulled back and stood directly in front of me. Well done, trooper. You make the Emperor proud. I saluted, offered my thanks. Then the trio moved on with their inspection. We were dismissed and all the grunts filed into the mess hall, where we were conspicuously separated from the VIPs. But at least the hall was set for a formal dinner with bottles of wine on every table. We sat down and cracked them open. Well, look at you two. What a pair. With your fancy medals. Run through a field getting shot at by some psycho with a sniper rifle and they get rewarded for it? Back on my planet, we didn't congratulate people for being morons. Staven and I didn't care. Let them make their jokes. They were just jealous. Not just of the medals, but of the substantial pay bonus that came along with it. An extra 500 credits. The meal was served by droids, and those things kept the booze flowing and the food coming. We were trashed before dessert was even served. I was about to light up a stick when the door opened and Corporal Husto walked in. He wasn't an officer, so we didn't jump to our feet and salute him, but we did quiet down. He swaggered up to our platoon's table as he held a bottle of wine. That's some great work out there, kids. The LT is soaking up compliments with the brass as we speak. He took a slug from the bottle and fell into an empty chair at our table. (laughs) Just thought you'd want to know that along with the battle honors, 79's been given a week's leave, effective tomorrow. Colonel signed off on travel passes, too, so you dipshits can go wherever you want, provided you're back on post one week today. Understood? And what happens if we don't get back in time? Husto just looked at him smugly. I don't know, Murray. Maybe you should go AWOL just to find out. It'd be a good learning experience. As he got off the chair, he took another swig. Be smart, kids. A full week's leave? Our faces lit up like younglings on life day. That was more time off than I'd had in more than a year. Well, I guess we should keep drinking. It was a fine suggestion. Even if I regretted it by the time we stumbled back to the barracks and we meandered our way across the base. At first we sang marching songs from Basic. Then a night patrol came over on a speeder and told us to shut up or they'd stun every one of us and tie us up to posts outside the walls. That wasn't an idle threat either. Discipline was taken very seriously at camp. We sheepishly apologized, piling on that deferential talk that comes so easily when you're three sheets to the wind. We got to the barracks in time for me to puke in a freshly cleaned latrine. Smelled like cleaning solvents, which was actually quite pleasant. 
I was still leaning over the bowl when someone stumbled into the stall next to me and did the same. I would have slept there on the floor if there wasn't a lineup building behind me. We all indulged way too much, and there was a backlog at the toilet. I somehow made it back to bed and just fell into it. The room spun around me. We cranked the air conditioner so high that there was condensation on the windows, but it still felt hot. I slept on top of my covers and woke up just before lunch. I looked around the room and there were a lot of us still there. Then I threw on my PT gear because it was the most comfortable clothing I had and made it to the mess hall for some coffee. It was wet outside. There was no rain, but just being outside left you soaked. The humidity was that high like walking through a rain cloud that fell out of the sky. The mess hall was quiet, but Staven and Murray were over in a corner sitting on loungers. She had a data pad in front of her, and the two of them were deeply engrossed in something. Even if Murray had more gossip, I didn't care. My head was pounding. I can't say I was hungover, but I was exhausted and needed some vine coffee. I took my first sip when Staven came up behind me. Get over here. Murray and I are cooking something up. Of course they were. I sat down and Murray put the data pad in front of me. You know anything about racing? I didn't. Of course you don't. Well, thankfully, we do. So, we're taking our leave in Floon Bay, and you're coming with us. Floon Bay was a massive transport hub and the second largest city on Seston 4 and had a population of half a million people. Most of the traffic from the starport Jeff DeAndes came in through there, so there was a huge imperial presence already. And it was one of our administrative hubs, so taking leave there wouldn't cause any problems. But it was also on the swoop bike racing circuit. Swoop bikes are just overpowered hover bikes. If you ride one, it's basically just sitting on a jet engine and hoping you don't die. Staven and Murray followed the races on the local holonet and came up with a plan to make a lot of creds by betting on them. There was one particular racing team they were convinced would win, based on the model of bike and the type of course Floon Bay had, and they were the underdog team we could bet on, and they would win big if we played it smart. They wanted me to front my bonus. All of it. I didn't want to. I needed time to stall them, but the race was in two days, and we need to get there quickly enough to ensure that we got in at one of the betting stations with the best odds. I was pissed off, but I was too wiped to fight, so I didn't. I just gave away five months' worth of wages like an idiot. That's the smartest thing you've ever done, Kwai. We're going to come back loaded. Murray was nodding, too, that big dumb asshole, his head bobbing up and down, and I guess I was the real asshole, you know, the fool that follows and all. We had enough time to pack our kit. Regulations were we wore work dress uniforms, minus the armor if we were off-duty in civilian areas so we could be easily identified in a hostile situation, but most of us felt it just put a target on our back. There were 17 of us heading to Floon Bay. 
and everyone peppered Murray with questions about what he'd heard on the wire. Like those rumors about us having replacements by the time we got back and how we'd be up to full strength again. Then one of the flight techs on the shuttle came by and said they heard there was even talk of sending in another battalion now that things on the other planets in the Seston system were cooling off. We liked that. It'd be great to show some real muscle, put those bandits in their place, meaning under our boots. All of us were talking big now. We still weren't too phased by what happened on the last patrol, hadn't lost our sense of invincibility. That would come. But until then, we were happy to enjoy this time off, and we were pretty sloppy when the shuttle came into port. The starport in Floon Bay was massive. It had stormtroopers and everything. I guess they were now running security on both the surface and in orbit, which was surprising because this was a civilian port. It was just secured by Imperial forces. The Empire had admin guys, sailors, and deck apes all over. There were civilians too, but they were mostly in labor positions, running cargo. Some militia members were here as well, local guys. Mary Allen, Twilik, even a few Zeltron. The rest were human. The air on the pad had a metallic taste to it because of the hyperdrive exhaust. I always hated ships. They felt like poison to me. As bad as sitting in a mud hole was, it didn't feel like it was seeping into your blood and killing you. But at least the temperature here was pleasant thanks to the cool ocean breeze. It wasn't humid or damp either. The air was crisp and dry, like back home. We grabbed our bags and got ushered off the tarmac into the clearance building to get screened. We were granted clearance cards and got waved through. Murray booked us some rooms at a hotel that was close to the red light district and close enough to the public speeder lines that'd take us to the track. It was also near an off-site betting post that had better odds, and if we split the money and hedged our bets, we'd come home making more. The way he was talking about odds and stuff made no sense to me. I am no gambler. I just wanted to have as good of a time as I could with what little money I had. We unloaded our bags at the hotel, which was a lot nicer than I expected. The suite was clean, a few interconnected rooms with beds, common sitting area with a table-style hollow projector and a small kitchenette. We cleaned up, finished off the booze we'd brought with us, and then waded into the streets. It was already late, but none of us cared. We needed to live. Every second of freedom mattered. Floon Bay floored me. I grew up on a farm, and the closest settlement barely had a 100,000 people in this city had almost half a million. There were shuttle lanes overhead moving steady, even at this hour. And you could see the lights of transports, big and small as they came out of orbit. And the buildings were massive to me. The shortest one was at least 12 stories tall and the streets were wide. Avenues that during the day saw a lot of speeder traffic, but were now mostly left to rowdy pedestrians and public shuttles. There was a drinking hall close by, big and sleazy. A one-stop shop for gambling, pit fighting, and dancing. Everything we'd want. Thick music was pounding through the walls. 
I wanted to just sit down and drink. I had never been in a city this size, and it made me feel uneasy. To a farm kid like me, even the line to get into the hall was an experience. We were definitely getting weird looks in our uniforms. Not hostile, but we drew their attention. We played it off, not caring what others thought, and offered the group behind us some of our tobacco sticks. They told us about the swoop bike races and that it was going to be a non-stop party once those started. As soon as she heard them talking about the races, Staven wedged her way in to talk to a huge dark green Miri Allen who was missing one of his front teeth. Guy seemed to have all the dirt she wanted. They talked pretty deep about engines. Apparently this guy was some type of mechanic on the loading docks. I wasn't really paying attention actually. By that point, I didn't even like being there. It was too much. The lights, the noise, the whole thing put me off. We stayed in line for a bit and they waved us in. Once inside, we broke off and did our own thing. Staven was with her new friend and a few others on the dance floor, and a few more of us headed for the back to watch the pit fights. You want to grab a drink, just lay low at the bar? Murray, a farm boy like me, probably felt the same way. Hell yeah, I wanted a drink. I threw another stick in my mouth and we took a seat near a corner of the bar. The place was so crowded. Had to be close to a thousand people inside. It was loud and even though there were lights flashing everywhere, it was still hard to see in the dark as the neon lights just cut through the thick smoke giving a glare. I was lost trying to take it all in. Hey, Trooper, you drinking or just taking up space? Yeah, he's drinking. Give him a double Bespin Fizz. Murray handed me a drink and asked if I was okay. I was honestly just overwhelmed. I realized that now, but I did the typical young male thing of pretending I was fine even though I wasn't, and then suggested we check out the pit fights. That was a terrible idea. The second we got back there, all eyes were on us, even though there was already a fight in progress. A bionically augmented human wielding a staff was squaring off with two Trandoshans holding short swords. They were going at it. The greenies were trying to corner the cyborg, but it wasn't working. They were too slow, and the human was really taking advantage. A few quick strikes and they'd shattered the legs of one of the lizards. It was very precise work. Snapping blow to the knee, then a spear-like jab to the shoulder devastated the joint and they crumbled. That human moved so fast. It was incredible to see. I downed my drink and despite my initial reservations, I realized this was a lot more my speed. The other lizard moved in and grabbed the end of the staff as it swung and slashed with her short sword. Their opponent anticipated the move and slipped to the inside to pull them down. The lizard's head came forward, and the human leapt up and drove their knee into its snout. The crunch triggered a cheer from the crowd. Who doesn't get excited watching a clear underdog turn things around in their favor? They jerked the staff free and crashed it into the side of the Trandoshan's skull. No one where I grew up took kindly to Trandoshans. They were slavers, same as Gamorreans. I'm not saying they all were, but I don't know too many other species that run slave colonies that double as hunting reserves. 
They'd make their slaves work until they decided it was more fun just to hunt them, and not for sport either. They ate former slaves in front of the current ones. That's what the Empire was putting a stop to. And when I saw that lizard's skull break, it made me smile. Part of the group we were with joined us after the fight, and the announcer came into the ring. How many of you have ever seen a Wookiee Berserker? The cheers got louder when a big shaggy behemoth paced into the ring. They held a massive vibro axe, and the look of it was just terrifying. I wanted to see that Wookiee go at it. I'd never seen one before, but I'd watched plenty of hollow stories about them growing up. I knew they were big and dangerous, and the one in the ring more than lived up to that reputation. It wasn't gonna happen though. One of the guys from the third squad said there was an upscale brothel down the way and he heard some locals talking about it. Said it was quieter, more easygoing. We sent out a pin to the rest of the squad and told them we'd meet back up in the morning before hitting the track and rolled out. There were nine of us. Altherium, Mondahai, and Murray were with me. Staven stayed back in the bar with a bunch of the others. We were burning sticks along the way and someone pulled out some rolled up gem flour. That stuff was technically illegal. Not for civilians, just soldiers. Imperial law prohibits it, but none of us cared. We were on leave. We had a few days to piss it all out of our systems anyway. By the time we got to the front door of the brothel, we were in a fine state. The guy at the door was Verk, but I could have been convinced his mother was a rancor, had this hulking torso and just loomed over us. He also had an energy baton slung from his hip, about a foot and a half long. Grip on the handle was pretty polished from exuberant use. I don't want any trouble in here. And I don't care if you wear that uniform. We pay our taxes, which means you walk in this door, you keep things clean. Or I'll make things messy. We went in the door and stood in an entryway with two more Verk at the other end. They were armed for close quarters combat, A280 blaster rifles, short barrels for a decent spread, turn you into confetti. Head inside, imps! The second doors opened, and in we went. This was my type of place. The music was soft. It tickled our ears. We were welcomed by scents. It was familiar, but unidentifiable. Just made you feel relaxed. Soft light and smoke and a room decorated with rich reds and gold. All the employees smiled at us. They were the opposite of everything we'd just seen at the club. We made our way in and the servers were perfect, not a strip of clothing. And they looked and moved like pieces of art. They floated across the floor, every move like choreography. We tried not to stare too much as they took our orders. I kept doing my best impression of someone who wasn't in every way blown away. This was a lot more highbrow than the brothel I visited back home before signing my life away. We were seated in an open room that was surrounded by pillows and cushions. A curtain closed behind us for privacy. 
It was like something out of a hollow story. Good evening, Imperial Protectors. Welcome. Welcome. The madam came over with the serving staff as they placed our drinks on the low table in front of us, along with more drugs than I'd ever seen. There were some hibis chips and a tray of ground gem flour, along with what looked like bith dust. This was going to be a long night. If you wish to speak with any of my staff, simply ask, but do so politely. Remember, our time and services come at a price, and there will be no negotiations. The price stated will be the price owed. Now, for those of you wishing for added services, there are private rooms upstairs for your pleasure. But remember one thing. If you fail to follow my rules, you will leave, and it will not be a pleasant exit. Otherwise, we will do our very best to make your time with us an enjoyable one. She was a warm orange twillick with deep burgundy markings. And even though she was female, her teeth were deadly sharp. (laughs) She had an uneasy allure to her, and we knew her threats were anything but idle. (laughs) None of us were going to get out of line. It wasn't that we weren't scared of her or her security, but anything she did would be nothing compared to what the LT would do to us if it got back to him that we were causing trouble. This place was spectacular, though. There were dancers in front of us, moving to the music and putting on a show. As the other hosts came by with a wink and a nod, wanting to service us, Knowing what I know now, we were easy prey for a place like this. Our money wouldn't last long here. But back then, we were young and bought into the fantasy. Maybe it wasn't fantasy. It was just the opposite of everything we knew back at the camp. Within 20 minutes, Mondahai headed upstairs with a human female and a Twi'lek who looked like he had maybe a gram of fat on his entire body. The guy was a walking anatomy exhibit. Eltherium followed, holding hands with a Twi'lek that had bright purple skin. She was the one leading him, though. Then me and Murray were left alone, and a serving girl came over and asked if we needed company. Murray thanked her, but said some drinks would do fine. I liked that. I wasn't really the type to frequent brothels. Even when I hit up the one with my friends back home, they were the ones that took advantage of the services, not me. I just got drunk. It wasn't my thing. My eyes were wandering, though. There was a lot to look at. I held a burning gem flower stick in my hand. Then Murray held a small spoon of bith dust under my nose. I snorted in and leaned back. The edges of reality blended into each other. Don't get too fucky. We gotta place a wager in the morning. Staven and I have a plan. (laughs) The hustle. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just listening to the music. Who were those guys on stage? What were those guys on stage? I think they were slugs. I couldn't tell. But the music was just what I needed. Everything was light and fuzzy. A three-dimensional fuzzy, you know? Well, if you know, you know. You okay with things? I had no clue what he was talking about. The music? Yeah, the music felt great. I think I could taste it. He just glared at me. No, 
You've been different since we came back from that patrol. The one with, you know. I waved his hand away. I remember how on me he'd been since we landed, always checking in. He sensed something was off. There was no hiding things from that guy. My stomach dropped, like my heart skipped a beat. The patrol had no impact on me. Well, it had an impact, but not that much. I mean, maybe when I was out there in a target-rich environment, yeah, you needed to be in a different state of mind. But then, without me even realizing, I started talking about what had really kicked me off my rails. I told him everything that happened with the Inquisitor. The way she got into my head, the way she knew my past, turned my life inside out. Even when I was trying to sleep, I could hear her voice. And then she did it again on the parade square. His eyes lit up. No way. I heard all about that shit. That's amazing. He was too wasted to understand what I was really talking about. He was too caught up about all the shit we'd watched as kids. The things about Jedi being the champions of the Republic and all that. The thing that happened to me was different. She was in my head and dicked around with memories that mattered to me. That's something else altogether from what we'd seen growing up. (laughs) Then everything blurred, like right after that. And I was okay with it. I hated having to talk about that shit about the Inquisitor. I remember us leaving, but I don't really remember how. I'd lifted a bottle from the brothel and nursed it on the walk home. I remember that. Because at that point I was liquid, barely functioning. We somehow got back to the hotel, and those Miri Allens from the dance floor were there with the troopers we'd left at the dance hall. I also remember there was loud music. Would have been easier to just sleep at the brothel. But I was done fell into a mattress as soon as we came in, and that was it. The bottle was still in my hand when I got nudged awake in the morning. Then I had to scramble to get ready. We'd only tossed the locals out of the room a few hours ago. The sun was still rising. Why were we rushing? This has got to run smooth, you understand? Get up and get clean. You need to look the part. This was like a fucking military op. Even on our days off, We're getting primped and primed like we're about to be on parade. It was pointed out to me that at this point we pooled a fair bit of creds and needed to ensure we'd be taken seriously by the betting agents. A crew of almost 20 looking sharp and gray should be enough to do the trick. We marched into the hallway and had breakfast together in the hotel restaurant like a pack of animals. Then we spilled out onto the street. I brought a traveler of coffee with me sipped it while the sun bathed me over. The city, like me, was awakening, energy breathing into it. The air was cleaner than it had been on the pad. The breeze swirled in between the buildings as the shuttles buzzed above us. The bustle of the city was different from the night before and much more pleasant. I still felt terrible, though, and was trying to keep my footing steady as we walked down the sidewalk. Then Murray sidled up beside me. Listen, when we get to the bedding parlor, you guys gotta stay outside. Me and Staven are going in, alright? Just keep things cool. Outside, alright? What did he mean? Keep things cool. What was with all his cloak and dagger shit? When we got there, it looked like any other shop on the street. 
There was even a cafe that many of us hit up when we stopped as Murray and Staven went in to lose all our money. Okay, bet's in. We're good. It barely registered. I already considered that money gone. The whole crew hopped on a public shuttle and headed for the track. The race and the track was hard to miss. The entire city was buzzing with excitement for the days of racing that lay ahead. Everything from qualifiers to class races. Basically non-stop gambling and debauchery. Our money was on a qualifier later that day. And until then, we were taking it all in. The grandstand was massive. Must have been big enough for 50,000 cheering fans. That didn't even take into account the surrounding tents and pavilions, which included anything from drinking parlors to temporary lodgings for any partiers that got too routed and needed to sleep it off. I didn't know where to look. I'd never seen anything like it before. Speeders and shuttles whirred overhead as they dropped passengers and cargo. It seemed like everything was happening at once. The crowd was kept in check mostly by militia, but there were plenty of stormtroopers too. Let me see your identification. They were such assholes. The way they moved, they'd ID random people. They really did just walk around and flex. I saw a lot of other Imperials, officers, Navy types, other mutters from around the planet, but every one of us seemed annoyed by those dipshit bucketheads making us look bad. They really did just have one gear, me. Don't get me wrong, in the field, dealing with hostiles, be mean, fuck them up, ruin them. But here, no, they're just making everyone under the Imperial flag look bad. We pulled into one of the drinking halls, bought tokens, then found a couple of clustered tables with a good view of the screens. Then we sat down and started to drink, slowly. We knew we needed to pace ourselves, and more than a few of us were still hurting from the night before. I was nursing cut glasses of wine and juice. It was all I could stomach. I couldn't relax because of the constant check-ins from Murray and Staven. Just as I really started to chill out, she kicked my shin. All right, let's take a walk. I looked at her and then Murray. He didn't wait for me to protest. Instead, he turned to the rest of the crew and said we'd be back in a few minutes. They didn't care. The action was really starting and it was getting busy. Crowds were pouring in. There were street performers cranking out music. The place was alive. The screens had shots of the swoop bikes getting detailed. The speakers filled the air with sounds of revving turbines. I was annoyed they wanted to leave just when everything was actually starting. Then Staven leaned in and whispered, We're meeting someone in the pits. Of course we are. What's going on with Staven and Murray? What are they plotting? And could those plans put the rest of the 79th platoon in danger? That's next time on Episode 6, The Pits. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, 
Make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.